Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we have many who are watching us. We're honored to be able to provide you with some encouragement and edification through God's word, especially at a time like this. Here in New York, we're approaching the apex of the curve uh, of the virus of infection. So we appreciate all the notes that we've gotten through email and social media from all over the world praying for us. Thank you for praying for us, and thank you for your encouragement. Here, I myself am extremely encouraged. I see brothers and sisters stepping up, showing their love and their dedication for God at this time. It's very inspiring. You know, it is during wartime that men get set apart, the brave from the coward, the panderer from the faithful, and, and I'm so blessed to really be amongst God's mighty men who've taken upon themselves to lead, to, to steer others, to set their sights on the Lord at such a time as this. Some are leading by calling men to pray together, to fast together, going on social media, sharing lessons individually, and just providing a general encouragement because each of us have been assigned a sphere of influence by which God can use us to share this message of hope and encouragement when all the world is uh, fearing what's going on at this time. I'm thankful for our house church leaders as well who are taking it upon themselves to call their groups for prayer and virtual fellowship. Many virtual mentorship groups are still going on, reading the Bible, encouraging each other and building each other up. That's the body of Christ. The body of Christ cannot be stopped. Jesus said, Hades, the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. And uh, you guys are making yourselves available for your friends, for your family, for your neighbors. This is what the love of Christ, this is what the body of Christ does at a time like this. Is that It's a time to shine when days are dark and evil. This is the time when the church is making a difference. You know, God is greater than any pandemic, any disaster, any storm. He's the one who actually starts them, and he's the one who ends them when he sees fit. God even sent Goliath to the Israelite camp. Uh, the Israelites thought perhaps Goliath was there to stop them, but David knew otherwise. He knew it was time to glorify God when things like that happened, and David didn't look to what he didn't have or what he didn't master to overcome this giant, he said, well, I'm not ready to do this, or I don't have the tools or the experience. David trusted that God had given him all he needed. As a shepherd, he knew that. He knew that any obstacle he encountered, uh, like a lion or a bear, which he had encountered, it was not there to stop him, but to strengthen his faith and his love for God. It was actually a show for his faith to grow and to get stronger. And David's character really shows us the template 
needed to defeat any seeming giant in our life today. Last week, I exposed who the real giants are operating behind the facade of those giants that we perceive to be threats. These right here, these are the real threats. And today, we're going to see what David did to defeat the giant in his day. And that's how we can defeat the giants in our day today. So three things that we need to develop. Each and every one of us is responsible for developing these three things that we see were operating in David at the time he set face to defeat Goliath. <clears throat> First of all, we have childlike faith. You know, David was the youngest of all his brothers and sisters. We know that from 1 Samuel 17, 14. The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. He had the heart of a shepherd. He didn't have the heart of a warrior. He went to the war camp that day when Goliath was there to serve his brothers. He didn't come with intent to fight. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 and onward. Here in Acts verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 22, Paul says, after removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Paul is uh, using many different citations to come up with this. 1 Samuel 13, 4, Psalm 89, 20, 1 Kings 15, 5. The truth is that there was no one like David at that time whose heart really was in wanting to accomplish what God wanted him to do, no questions add. And that's an example of a childlike faith that totally relies on his parent, on his father. And what were some examples of this childlike faith? Well, in 2 Samuel 16, 5 through 12, we read how he humbly accepted disdain that was directed at him when Shimei cursed at him and even threw rocks at him and his men. David said, you know, I'm not going to do anything to this guy because perhaps I deserve this. You know, perhaps the Lord sent him to humble me. And so that was his attitude. His men were ready to get up and cut his head off, but David directed him not to do that. Another way that we see his childlike faith is not wanting to touch or harm Saul, whom David called the Lord's anointed, even though God had delivered him up to him, not once, but twice in 1 Samuel 24, 10 and 1 Samuel 26, 10 through 12. David exclaimed, how dare I lay a hand on the Lord's anointed, even though Saul wanted to kill him and tried to kill him. Still, David showed his childlike faith and trust in the Lord. Throughout all the Psalms, I mean, we can see David's reliance on God in everything that he did, <clears throat> what he thought of early in the morning, late at night. I mean, his meditations, every time he thought of things, he was always thinking about God. And he was very quick to repent. We know of his story. Uh, when confronted by Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 13. He was quick to repent when Nathan confronted him. He was quick to have a desire 
of anything wicked in him be exposed. We see it here in these two Psalms that have become Psalms that uh, are some of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 26, verse two and three. He invites God to test him. Test me, Lord. Try me. Examine my heart and my mind. I mean, this is a childlike faith. This is not a faith in me or in anybody else, but a, 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 a belief that God helped me. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking wrong things. Maybe I'm judging things wrong. Test me. Try me. Examine me. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, these are just great prayers to have, especially at times when we're anxious and we need to invite God to test us, to examine us, to expose if we're thinking the wrong way about things or what we need to do. So this, these are examples of the kind of faith and conviction that David had that helped him stand up to Goliath that day. The Psalms and all these verses show where his heart and his thoughts were at. But a second thing that David had also was a disdain for evil. You know, when David heard Goliath defying the armies of Israel, he wouldn't stand for that. And he was just a little boy. You know, his brothers were there fighting. They had their armor on. They had their spears. They had their weapons. And David was this little kid coming to give his brothers some food. And yet when he hears Goliath defying not only the armies of Israel, but defying God Almighty, David could not stand for that. And this speaks to <coughs> something called desensitization. Many of the soldiers there that day, you know, they had been hearing this going on for some time. You know, it was quite a, a lot of days had passed uh, of them hearing Goliath's def defying things and bullying. And maybe they got used to it. Maybe they had got accustomed to this evil. Sometimes we get accustomed to the evil around us and might even accept it as something normal in our lives. And this is one of the ways Satan, you know, little by little sows in uh, that erodes away that disdain for evil that we need to have in order to support the kind of faith that we need. In uh, 1 Samuel 17, 26, we see uh, David asking, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In the in the verses in the next few verses <coughs> we see his brother his older brother belittling David's holy disdain and childlike faith. He kind of blames him. He says, "What are you doing here? You know, you're so arrogant, you know, get out of here." Uh, but you know what? Uh, this the lack of childlike faith desensitizes us to evil. It causes us to join the herd of cheap grace and the lies of Christianization. And uh, soon enough, these things and our culture kind of overcome our conviction based on biblical truths. Uh, in the Psalms, you discover that David had an intense hatred 
for anything or anyone who, who stood opposed to the Lord. In the Proverbs, uh, we read in Proverbs 8, 13, and 14, that to fear the Lord is to hate evil, not to just dislike it, but to hate it. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. That's wisdom personified speaking in chapter 8 of Proverbs. So we need to work on fighting desensitization. If we're going to have the kind of faith that's going to stand up to the seeming giants in our lives and to overcome them, we really need to hate evil, evil in us starting there and evil all around us. <clears throat> the third element that we see David possessed was just a brazen boldness. We read in 1 Samuel 17, 32, he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now, Saul told him that he couldn't do it. Saul was trying to convince him, look, you don't have the same experience. You, This guy's been training since he was a child to do these things. But David could not be dissuaded from his goal to eradicate any disdain or evil precisely when it stood against God. It didn't matter if he had experience or didn't. It didn't matter if he had weapons. It didn't matter if he didn't have backup. His faith and his hatred for evil made him bold. You know, Satan's counterculture attacks the very foundation of these three things that I just mentioned to you. We live in a society that is so focused on the empirical things of this life. It just focuses on what we see, what we taste, what we feel, and it has become so short-sighted that it kills the seeds of childlike faith. I mean, even if we were true empiricists, <laughs> Uh, if we really uh, got the message of the things that we see and hear and feel all around us, they would all point us to God because that's what they were designed to do. Hebrews 11.1 1 teaches us that very concept, faith. What is faith? But the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Confidence. Who's that confidence? God is. We need to believe God is real. Jesus is reigning. And that confidence that we hope for comes from that assurance that we have about what we do not see. God cannot be seen, but everything that he created, like Paul says in Romans, is there to testify to him who exists. So if we follow the evidence and we use our minds, we use our reason, and we combine that with the revelation God shows, that is the beginnings of faith. But we need to feed that faith. We need to make that faith, develop that faith into the kind of faith that David had. So what did that look like for David? How did he develop these three things, this, this faith, this disdain for evil and the boldness that accompanies it? Well, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at three things that uh, show in David's life how he did this. Number one, and this is, by the way, how we apply the things that we're learning here. Uh, trust in the Lord. As a shepherd, David recalled God had saved him from the lion and the bear. You know, he had that experience before. Here we see it 
him talking about it in 1 Samuel 17, 36 and 37. This is what he tells uh, King Saul, who was trying to convince him that he couldn't fight this giant. So he says, listen, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear. He's going to rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So at that point, Saul says, <laughs> go and the Lord be with you. Now, in our lives, we can retrace our steps and we can apply this trust in God because trust has to continue moving forward. It can't just be trust and faith as good as the last experience that we had. No, it has to keep moving forward. That's what David is teaching us here. David drew back from his experience with the lion and the bear. He knew God would deliver him again. That's what gave him that confidence, that childlike faith. He says, look, God has saved me before. I'm sure that he will save me again because this giant here is defying the armies of the living God, and I know he won't stand for that. So we want to retrace our steps. Understand God is with you. If you've taken cover in Jesus Christ, you have a holy covering on you. You are a member of the body of Christ. You are a priest of the God Most High. God is with you no matter what is happening around you. And we need to use that faith to propel us forward in so that God can use us within the sphere of influence. The second thing uh, in the application of these principles that we see in David's life is that he wasn't cornered. He didn't allow himself to be cornered by other people's fears or prejudices about the situation. You don't want to let other people who don't share your faithful point of view try to equip your faith. That, that doesn't make sense. If they didn't have faith in the first place, why let their viewpoint corner you into a place where you shouldn't be? We see that play out here in 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 39, when Saul tried to dress David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him. He put a bronze helmet. You know, Saul was saying, look, you can't face the giant without any armor. So here, I'm going to give you what I think you need, the protection I think you need. And, you know, David humored him for a little bit, fastened on his sword, tried walking around, but he wasn't used to it. He said, I can't go in these. I'm not used to this. So he took them off. Sometimes we might be sidetracked, uh, blindsided even, uh, by other people's well-meaning faith, uh, well-meaning advice, but their faith might not be where yours is at. You know, they don't see things the way you do. And they might even look down on you like they did on David. Oh, well, that looks very nice, that kind of faith that you have. But Sonny, that's not going to work in this situation. Are you going to let people who don't have faith or who have a fledgling faith drive where you need to go or take you off course of where you need to be and what you need to do in light of how you trust God and how you've seen God deliver you. Learn this lesson from David. <clears throat> yes, you know, David heard Saul. He said, okay, I'm going to humor you. I'm going to see what you have to say. You want to listen and examine to what others are telling you. You want to be wise about it. You don't want to just, you know, show them the hand. 
Uh, but you have to really weigh their opinion. If they're not on the same page as you, especially when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, then you know what? Thank you, but no thank you. I'm not used to that. I have to fight this battle based on what I know God has given me. You're going to encounter, as we already are, even before this pandemic, and especially now during this pandemic, you're going to hear in the news and all over the place, many naysayers, many doomsayers, many soothsayers. You're going to hear catastrophists. You're going to hear pessimists. You're going to hear all kinds of things, some of them coming from your own family, from your own household, some from within the church, trying to tell you what you can or cannot do. Hey, only God can do that. You know, the life and words of unbelievers, hey, that's a testament to a dead faith. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dissuaded. David was the only one in a whole army of trained Israelites, men trained for war. He was the only one whose faith saved Israel that day. One person can and will make a difference when their faith is in God, who is bigger than anything else in the whole universe. How did David apply that? Well, here's the third. The third point, you're not empty-handed. Many of us may think we are. Saul told David, you don't have the weapons. You don't have the training. He tried to convince him, I guess, that he was empty-handed when it came to face this giant. But you know what? David knew the tools he had. We have to fight with the tools God has already given us. If we believe that our God has equipped us, then we need to accept that we have already what we need to fight any seeming giant. David fought with what he had the way he already knew. God had been preparing him with the experience as a shepherd. God has been preparing you all along. You just have to retrace your steps like David did. Hey, God saved me from the lion. He saved me from the sheep, I mean, from the bear. I can do this. <clears throat> don't buy into the idea that you need something you don't have to live a better life or to overcome your problems. That's what every snake oil salesman tries to do. And Satan is the best snake oil salesman out there. He's betting on your impulse buy out of fear and all the other real giants he depends on to defeat you. Exodus 4.12. Here's what God said to Moses when Moses said, how can I do this? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. God said to him, what do you have in your hand? He said, a staff. And with that staff, Moses opened up the Red Sea, called all 10 plagues. God worked with him with what he had in his hand all ready. In 1 Samuel 17, 40, we see the same thing. David took his staff. He chose five smooth stones, put them in the pouch of his bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Joseph has had his faith, had his wits, which the Lord blessed with the interpretation of dreams. Daniel had the same thing. 
in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we're told we've all been given of the Spirit to drink. We all who are in Christ, who've believed and been baptized and have been raised to live in newness of life, we all have a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance to come, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We were given of one spirit to drink, the best gift, the only one we need to survive in this life. We read here in 1 Samuel 17, 45-47, this is David's battle cry. He comes to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle belongs to the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. In this prayer, I see his conviction being reflected. God has given us a rich history of how merciful, how benevolent, how great he is. Do you believe? All these things, let that conviction feed your childlike faith. I see purpose in this battle cry. I see a young man set out to accomplish not his own goals, God's goal. What drove the prodigal son to deviate from his father's house? Selfishness. Are you in line with God's purpose? Or are you out to claim a glory? For yourself. I see in this battle cry faith. <coughs> faith leads us to obey, to willfully defeat any giant in our life. Living faith does that. Living faith does not try, it does. And so David's faith and bravery inspired and ignited the rest of the people that day when they saw the giant fall. We read in 1 Samuel 17, 52, that all the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued all the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the road to Gath and Ekron. Brothers and sisters, it's time that we rise out with a battle cry and with a shout we as a church, we can stand together at this time. But to stand, we need to humble ourselves before God as his people. So I want us all to join together in a day of fasting. This is how we're going to stand before the Lord. Together, as David stood before that giant, we can stand before this pandemic. We can stand before the fear that has many people trapped and anxious. You can stand before any other giant that seems to be trying to take you down at this time. For some of you, it may be an illness. For some of you, is a looming economic disaster. For some of you, is fear. But collectively, tomorrow, 
We can stand as one, as the armies did that day before Goliath. We can stand before God and show him solidarity as brothers and sisters, as a church. The solidarity of us being in Christ, all with the same spirit. And intercede as God's church, because God's church is the focus of God's work. And so as his church, as his priesthood, we can stand together, fast together, and pray with one another. We've put a Bible study up on our website about fasting and some guidelines for those of you who've never done something like that. And this study makes a good way to get into the word. As you read about fasting, many of the things in that study is going to resonate with you. The reasons why people fasted in the Old and New Testament will show you that we have good reason to do that today as a church collectively. Many of us have, have fasted and prayed for individual reasons. But now we've come to a time in the whole world where we're all sharing worldwide same concerns. And so as the church of God, we have influence in the spiritual realms that we don't know of. And so we're going to petition our God as we fast and show him the seriousness of what we would like God to do. We're going to sit together, fast together, and pray together. You've all received an email of some of the points, perhaps on that email, that we all want to collectively fast and pray for. But I'm sure you may have your own. I know I may have my own points to add, and that's okay. You can add those too to your list as you fast and pray tomorrow. Uh, I want to thank and give a shout out to our brother Anthony Williams because he's the one who's encouraged us with his desire to fast. He's called a group of men to fast with him together. And so out of that, we really wanted to elevate this to something that we can do as a church. Brothers and sisters, we have a message to preach, and that is the message of the gospel. Jesus came for the purpose of making us right before God. Many of you have taken advantage of that, and now you are right before God, not because of anything you did, because we're wicked, but because Jesus gave us his righteousness and now gave us a position to influence things, powers, and authorities that we could not even have any idea. Uh, but that's how we use our priesthood now, to collectively now gather before God and petition him as the Jewish nation did uh, on that fateful day when Esther asked them all to pray and fast for her because they were facing uh, a threat as well at that time. You're going to read about it when you do your fasting study. You know, people can make the right choice by changing the way they think, changing the way they act, accepting that they have wickedness in them, and choosing, willingly choosing God over the world, over their own life. Choosing God by being baptized into Christ and therefore claiming that righteousness, claiming his blood as that cleansing agent in their life, so that now, whatever they do, can be pleasing to God. And the reason why we can even fast and pray together and make that mean something, it's not because we're doing it. We're not so holy that our fasting is going to mean anything to God or our prayers. Don't get deceived. No. The reason why our fasting and our praying can mean anything at all 
It's because Jesus has made us right. And so now we have to take advantage of that and say, wow, in, in whatever way my little bit of fasting and praying, whatever little they can do, God, thank you. Let us be full of gratitude and let us petition our Lord because he has given us the confidence to do that. And let us develop our childlike faith. Let us increase in disdain for evil in ourselves and all around us. And let us be bold about preaching the gospel and pointing others to Jesus Christ. May God bless you. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.